Peace and love to you and yours. I am Brandon, a.k.a. Shallow in the Deep. Back with another episode of the Garden Podcast, where we nurture the roots, plant the seed, and work through the fertilizer of life, because at the end of the day, we're all dealing with some shit. So, let's grow together. Peace and love to you and yours. Back again with another episode of the Garden Podcast. I am joined today by two fantastic individuals. Two hands, Giacomo Poggi. And Victor Rivera, a.k.a. Hugo Bangs. You've already heard me on the first podcast. He's been on like three different episodes, but we got a newcomer. It's Jacques. I love him. He's great. Appreciate it. And shout out to him for actually setting up a fucking day in time because people don't do that they just say i want to be on the podcast and don't say when <laughs> so i appreciate you of course how so can, how can be here? exactly so today we are talking about traumas um so i would like to issue a trigger warning for people uh the shit will get heavy um because we've all been through a lot of shit as i say in the intro we've been through some shit we're gonna talk about it so I guess to start off, uh, when you hear the word trauma, what what automatically comes to mind? Like, what do you think of when you hear about trauma, or just think of it as a concept? I think of it as something that you've experienced in your past that still kind of resonates with you today that you still think about, mm-hmm. and I think that stays with you and affects you in some way, shape, or form. It could be positive, could be negative, mm-hmm. like either way but I think it's something that stays with you that definitely has a has a long term effect with you that you know Mm -hmm. you use in some degree definitely definitely agree yeah I have to agree with that but I get to to me is like when you when you think of of trauma and you you hear the word trauma you like hear it with uh, brain trauma or or uh, someone's going into the hospital with some trauma it's like an extreme experience something Mm -hmm. extreme and a lot of times the those traumas um, can be small mm-hmm. or can be grand. Um, small, the smallest things are, are the ones that uh, will probably shape most people um, and the extreme traumas are the ones that keep people on guard. True, true. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. Um, <clears throat> speaking about being on guard, um, you and I have spoken a lot about some of the things we've experienced growing up. In fact, it's kind of how we got close in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, if you don't, if you guys don't mind, um, would you be willing to share some of your experiences with trauma? Maybe something from your childhood or even in adulthood. Just anything that you recognize as traumatic. Yeah, I think I could I could start with that. I think okay. uh, some things that I went through when I, I had some childhood trauma. Like I got bullied from fourth grade to eighth grade and then a little bit my junior year of high school like I had suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. in eighth grade as well as my junior year actually hit a lot heavier but like the, that time from elementary school 
to middle school that four or five year time it was just like kids just coming at me just saying real hurtful things and mm -hmm. like it really did take a toll on my self-esteem and like just how I look at myself as a person you know and so mm -hmm. it definitely it's I still think about it like a lot of those things that he, that the, the kids said to me to this day and so mm -hmm. but um, I use it today to fuel me and to better myself and to further like move forward and get past that trauma because I am still working on getting past a couple of the like a couple little things that you know that the trauma or that time in my childhood like how it affected me and so mm -hmm. Those little, those, that kind of main trauma that I, the kind of stuff that I went through was uh, that I identify as like childhood trauma mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of that still resonates with me to this day and mm -hmm. I use it um, in that shape in a positive way. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the key thing is just being able to take that negative time mm -hmm. and <coughs> let it shape you in, in a positive manner. Absolutely. Um, I find that. We often struggle to get to that point. A lot of people, unfortunately, they don't make it to that point where they mm -hmm. can turn that negative into a positive. Um, so I definitely commend you with that. Um, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, what about you, brother? How much time do we have? Because, uh, yeah, we got take as much time as you need, man. All right, we're probably going to need like two, three episodes of this shit. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> just like you. I mean, like yeah. you, you told everyone we have similar backgrounds um, growing up in the hood. Mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. in Detroit you know when you ask people what do you what do you think about when you hear Detroit a lot of people say you know negative things and they're basically on point they're true yeah. um, <clears throat> it's a city of blight um, city of, of broken dreams broken promises um, just growing up every day uh, from you know being a child to a young adult <coughs> Excuse me. The things that you experience there, just like growing up in Compton, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, stabbings, shootings, all that stuff, drive-bys, and all that stuff. That's how I grew up. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up being used to gunshots. I grew up being used to uh, hearing about people getting killed. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up to finding dead bodies, in, mm -hmm. like in the alley. Um, I grew up to like burned-down houses with people still in it. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, finding cars burnt out with again people still in it <clears throat> um, I grew up where back when uh, I remember my earliest memories of um, Detroit growing up on my block was we used to have a bunch of houses but as the years progressed a lot of those houses burned down mm -hmm. so my block started getting lighter and lighter you know with houses so mm -hmm. that's growing up you know doing that <clears throat> I grew up <clears throat> with drug addicts always walking up and down the block you know mm -hmm. asking you hey you got money you know where you score whatever uh trying to break into your homes and, and uh, break into your vehicles and everything um that was normal for me um, mm -hmm. the other things is is you know growing up as a kid you um like i said before um, you either grew up regular or you grew up in gangs mm -hmm. and that's what i did you know, i did did the gang things <clears throat> and it, it was my experiences as a kid that pushed me towards that because mm -hmm. like Jacques said you know he was bullied and I was too at a young age and and um, <clears throat> my dad left that's a little trauma right there you know my yeah. father leaving mm -hmm. um, definitely was was one of the traumas that, uh, that I experienced because you know everyone wants a happy home um, but my dad mm -hmm. left 
uh, when I was young. So it was just my brother, my sister, myself, my mom. Mm -hmm. um, although my dad was <clears throat> was kind of there because he lived 45 minutes away. Mm -hmm. um, still, I grew up just with my mom, and the only time I would talk, see my dad, or hear him is whenever he called. Yeah. Or when he happened to come by and drop some money off of my mom. Mm -hmm. So, um, growing up in a in a kind of fa semi fatherless home, um, you want to seek some sort of family because you have a broken family at home and you don't realize, um, you know, what family is anymore because you seek it. Right. You want that father figure. You want that. You, you want to be acknowledged, basically. And it's mm -hmm. nothing against my mom or anything like that, but I needed a male figure to acknowledge me and, and, and be like dad. <clears throat> so um, that pushed me into gangs. Uh, so a lot of stuff that I did with the gangs, you know, the experiences I had, the negative, um, pretty much caused trauma in my life. Um, then keep, keep on going um my sister was also in gangs and <clears throat> like i said in, in, in the other podcast um, she was murdered uh later on down down in life after i started moving away from the gang life and everything that probably was one of the most traumatic experiences i've ever experienced in my life because you know you, here you are you grew up most of your life <clears throat> with a sister you know my sister was my best friend and you don't imagine yourself being without your family because your family's blood you're supposed to grow old with your family you know right. you're supposed to have families they're supposed to have families you're supposed to get together with family you know functions or whatever and uh <coughs> sorry guys I'm still fighting that cough but um i never thought uh, that she would ever have been murdered uh, being the person that she was um I actually thought that I was going to get murdered first. You know? So, yeah, because of the stuff that I did compared to what she did. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's I did more of the more of the dirt than mm -hmm. she did. I mean, um, and I had always thought that one day it would catch up to me, and I was okay with it. You know, mm -hmm. you do all this bad, and and you expect repercussions. Mm -hmm. You expect retaliation, retribution. Mm -hmm. Um, and I and I thought that was going to happen to me, so I was okay with it. You know, I don't really care because all the traumas that I've experienced, you know, growing up, I was like, fuck it. You know, if I if I get killed today, I'm okay. Boom, boom, mm -hmm. bomb, bomb. But it was my sister, and that <clears throat> was my, like like I said, my biggest trauma um, because I had the unfortunate mispleasure of finding my sister um, dead in in a car while I was running. November um, uh, she had been shot twice with a 12 gauge shotgun uh, that <coughs> that alone um, the images of uh, seeing my sister with a hole in her chest and half her head gone um, is why I say this is the most traumatic experience I mean I've, I've experienced a lot of other things you know a lot of other small little traumas and like I said you know the small little traumas you know you know you they make you yeah. but the extreme ones are the ones that keep you guarded mm -hmm. and this experience right here is, is 
is why I am the way that I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very guarded because of the fact that um, I know that uh, at any moment we can go. Yeah. Um, and because of that, there's so many things that I want to do, and I'm, I'm guarded, reserved, and everything, because I don't want to cause any trouble, because I know that it's possibly my fault that my sister is dead, um, because of all the shit that we used to do together, um, mm. all the bad. So I kind of attribute my my shortcomings, my, my ill will that I did while I was in the gangs, I kind of attribute that to my sister's murder, so... Mm. In a way, I blame myself. Gotcha. Um, she was her own person, of course, but I also, you know, like I said, blame myself for for that because it was me and her that were doing the, the dumb shit. Mm-hmm. My brother, we kept him out of that gang life. Mm-hmm. We made sure that he wasn't involved. <clears throat> well, the funny thing is, I'm the youngest person, youngest in the family, but I was the first one to go into the gangs. Mm-hmm. Then my sister followed, and mm-hmm. then. Uh, we made sure that my brother didn't do anything. So he was he was on a straight path and everything. We made sure of that. Mm. But yeah, um, that that whole finding my sister murdered and the fact that I had to <coughs> um, tell my brother, tell my mother, tell my father, tell my brother-in-law. Mm. The fact that I had to hear each and every one of them scream <coughs> the same way. Um, and you've noticed me every now and then I'll stop get quiet yeah. and just have a blank stare in my face it's yeah. because I hear that again the, the, the <clears throat> it's in the Middle East it's called the death cry mm-hmm. you know when, when funerals happen you hear the, the women wailing and everything yeah. uh, at the funerals <clears throat> that's exactly what I heard you know when my mom started wailing my dad started wailing my brother my brother-in-law um so that's always stuck with me mm-hmm. the images that I see that I saw stuck with me mm-hmm. the fact that <clears throat> um and I think I've said this in the in the other podcast when when somebody dies in a car or what whether it's a home or a car or whatever um, a lot of people don't realize that it's your job to clean up the crime scene or get somebody to clean it up so when we took her car out of the impound, uh, my dad drove it home. Um, he had to drive with a blanket over the steering wheel uh, because my sister's brains and blood were all over it. I sat in the back of this, the, the vehicle <coughs> and I remember it vividly because when I sat in the back seat, I looked up and I saw her brains and skull fragments, blood, all over the, the, the roof ceiling of the car. Um, underneath the driver's seat and the passenger seat, because my sister slumped over, um, underneath the seats was a pool of coagulated jello-like blood. There's a pool. And because it was wintertime, <clears throat> it didn't dry up. In the back seat, because some of her brain blood fell on the back seat, I remember when I put my hand down to steady myself because, you know, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. My sister just died in here. I'm, I'm sitting in this fucking vehicle. Right. Put my hand down. <coughs> and I remember it being wet. 
and I thought to myself, oh, it's just, you know, the wintertime, I just feel cold leather because um, it was a leather seat. It was a, it was a Lincoln Town Car. And then I lifted my hand up, and um, it was full of brain and blood. And I remember just looking at my hand the whole time as, as we drove home. Like I said, it's the most traumatic experience I've ever had. Um, I remember going through the car, finding pieces of skull, finding pieces of her skin, finding pieces of her scalp with her hair still stuck on it. And I remember collecting all of that and putting it in a jar. And I've shown you um, my little my little case inside yeah. my room. I actually kept one of those <clears throat> one of those skull fragments. It's uh, her eye socket, orbital little piece of her eye socket, and, that, and um, a piece of <coughs> her glasses that she was wearing because she was wearing glasses when she was shot. And uh, a pellet of the shotgun round, uh, the bird shot that basically killed her and kept it. Um, and that was just as a reminder um, of what I had to go through, what she went through. Um, just to remind myself, life is precious. I'm glad you said that because some people would ask, like, why the hell would you would keep that? Like, why, <clears throat> why would why keep a memento of something that's so traumatic? Tra traumatic, right? right? Because, in all honesty, um, I wish I could hug my sister, and that's the only way I can still do it. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's my exact answer every time. You know, every, you know, I've had people ask me why. That's so morbid. Why do you right. do that? <clears throat> I was like, you have any siblings? Yeah. Can you hug them? Yeah. This is the way I can hug my sister. That's the only way I can do it. You're lucky. I envy you. Mm. I want to hug my sister every day. Yeah. You know, she, like I said, she was my best friend. We did everything together. I mean, I got kicked out of fucking Canada before her. Remember? Yeah. But, uh... That was... That, That's why I am the way I am. Yeah. I'm guarded. Very guarded. Very, very guarded. And I'm very cautious, too. Mm. Um, I don't like to be without um, firearms. Yeah. Anywhere I go. Yeah. I hate it. Because if I can... If someone if someone were to try to do the same thing they did to my sister, to me, <clears throat> I want to be able to do something about it. Right. And that's why you know I've I've always carried. Yeah. Like even here in the home, sometimes I carry. I got shorts on right now. I don't have them, but when I have my jeans on or anything, mm -hmm. I have my gun on my hip. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because of that. And some some people would say it's sad. Definitely that you have to live that way. And it's not necessarily that I just, I'm living that way. It's just, I, I choose to be prepared. Mm. So it's, it's second nature now. Yeah, it's, it, it is, it's, and it's, it is second nature. And it, it, it kind of ties into growing up where we grew up. Yeah. You know, because <coughs> you could be sitting on the porch and this happened too. 
you're going to be sitting on the porch enjoying the day um, I remember I, I had my daughter um, with me and, and we, me and her mother and I already split up so they lived three and a half hours away so it was my time with her so I brought yeah. her down to Detroit um, thank God she doesn't live in Detroit she lives in Holland, Michigan really great um, little town mm-hmm. but I brought her down to Detroit you know having having my, my, my time with her and I remember out of the blue bullets started flying while I was outside with my daughter and I panicked because my fear was my daughter was going to get hit by one of those straight bullets mm-hmm. and I remember looking at down down across a vacant lot that was a, on the corner of my street <clears throat> and I saw it was two cars that had been chasing each other one crashed and the other one just started shooting <coughs> and as they were shooting the one that was the, the furthest away was shooting towards the car that was you know chasing them which you know when they're shooting at that vehicle they're shooting in my direction mm-hmm. so you can hear the bullets whizzing and hitting the tree and, and hitting um, like the ground the, the fence line and everything so um, my mom had been tutoring kid and, and you could ask my mom about the story mm-hmm. uh, grab my kid I grabbed him mm-hmm. yanked him inside grabbed my AK-47 that I had on the side of my door so like when you open the door the front door it's mm-hmm. right there grab it and I started shooting towards them mm-hmm. just to have make him stop because yeah. I was so worried about my daughter that I did not give a shit about what was going on what I was doing I just wanted them to stop Mm -hmm. I just wanted to have my time with my kid Mm -hmm. so I just started shooting towards him and um, I remember after I I emptied the magazine I went inside made a sandwich sat down with my kid and watched TV fuck oh my god so did the cops come? no towards 10 o'clock at night because the cars were still over there they had left them there. Mm. <coughs> so they had to investigate. But that was normal. Yeah. The, that That's the small little traumas that we had to go through. Yeah. It was like second nature. Yeah. That, you know, we do what we got to do to survive. My kid was there. Mm. I had to do what I had to do to protect her. Mm-hmm. Protect my, my mom's student. Right. That wasn't from there was from an affluent part because my mom taught at Academy of the Americas in Detroit um, which is like one of those choice schools that you have to, te- uh, to get a test and get in there mm-hmm. they taught Spanish so this was a little black kid that she was teaching Spanish to and my god could that kid speak Spanish <laughs> boy it's like it was his second language it was just like in fact it was like it was his first language when he would talk mm-hmm. um he had been co- going back to my mom for years. I tried to make him. I tried to get him to, to become a beta. He went to Wayne State. I almost got him too, but it was it was crazy because he had not grown up that way. He was freaked out. Right. But I told him I was like, I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. Don't worry about it. I got you. Get inside the house. And like I said, man, I did what I had to do. Went back inside, made a sandwich, and we started watching TV like nothing ever happened. 
does. Like it's like we we've talked about this a lot, but I've noticed because we've known each other. Come on, bro. It's, it's like we what nine years? Yeah, nine years. Nine years, just or eight, or eight or nine years. One of those. Yeah, it's it's been a while. <coughs> um, and it's it's always interesting to me whenever you talk about it because there are small details that I learn as we go along because I know it's it's really heavy and it's it's a lot to talk about but I find that you know eight nine years later I'm still learning more about uh your sister and about you and then it's it's weird to me because it's like I can put the dots <coughs> together and I make connections I'm like okay that's why he does this that's why he does the x y and z and so like one thing that I that I can relate to uh, to some degree is like hearing gunshots mm-hmm. like in in Inglewood there were a few times that I heard gunshots like I remember being outside with one of my friends and seeing a car chase and we lived on a small residential street and I'll never forget that I'm across the street with one of my friends and we're just it's one of those it's like something out of a fucking movie <coughs> like you're sitting there, you're just playing or whatever, and then some crazy shit happens. And this car comes flying down the street to this house at the end of the block, and the dude was in, like, a standoff with the police. Fucking insane. Um, there are certain things that I recall in, in my childhood that were... Either, like, I didn't realize the severity of it, or like I recognize like wait oh that's what that was like something simple as well, I used to ride my bike around the neighborhood all the time me and my friends all did and there was one day I was going back home crossing the street and it's a small street like it's like from um, the curb right right at the stairs to the parking across the way it's like maybe that maybe slightly larger than that so I'm dry, I'm riding my bike across. This car is at the end of the block, which is maybe a good six houses down. And I distinctly remember that car speeding up. And I, as I made it onto the curb, like right into my driveway, it clipped my back tire. And it like barely clipped this, like my tire kind of like, yeah. Just did that. And I kind of just like looked like, what the hell? And just like kept going. But I didn't register like, yo, that motherfucker was trying to hit me. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? And I had never seen that car. It was just an occurrence. And I had heard about kids like on bikes or across the street getting hit and shit like that. But it was on like major streets, major intersections. Um, I remember, shit, I remember the cops being on our block, and they were looking for somebody, and I was like, the, I think I was the only black kid on the block at the time, and so it's me and like all of my friends who were all Mexican, and we're just like chilling, and the cops roll up, and they're, they, they're holding a piece of paper, they're looking for somebody. Like, oh, have you seen this kid or whatever? And I distinctly remember them looking and them being like, yo, B, why does this dude low-key look like you? And I, like, 
I walk over, I'm like, what? And I, I, I had to have been maybe nine or ten. And I walk over and I look at the picture and sure enough, like, definitely a black dude. But looking <laughs> at it, like, no bullshit, it did look like me. And I'm like, what? Was it a, was it a sketch That's from someone? Stereotype. No. Nah. It, it, it was like an, like an actual like photo, it was like a photo of you. Okay. Yeah, which was so weird. But the cops knew. They were like, "You're, you're a child. Like, yeah. this kid's older. Okay. <laughs> he's he's a teenager." And like, luckily, nothing happened. They were like, "Nah, like, we know this isn't you." Yeah, that reminds but, me of that one. Have you seen that one? Um, that one. It's a still from uh, newscast where the newscaster. Yes, yes. Is, and the the drawing. Yeah, the drawing yeah. looks exactly like exactly him. Exactly like him. Yeah. It was one of the, it was like that, and yeah. I was just like, "What the fuck?" And I remember being super scared, like I didn't do anything, like it wasn't me. Like I, growing up in the hood, like I never looked at police as like saviors. Mm-hmm. We're like, "Oh, okay, things are cool now. The police are here," and that was probably one of my first interactions with them. And it was something like, "Hey, we're just looking for somebody. Have you guys seen him?" But <laughs> my friends, quote unquote. Like, hey, this looks like you. What? Like, what kind of shit is that? Um, with moving to L.A., um, like, my mom would always tell me stories, like, the on her block. Like, all of the people that she grew up with, or a majority of the people that she grew up with, they still lived on that block. So, like, that part of her street was always fine. But down the street, and, like, where, the, where Magic Johnson Park is, L.A. people will know. Um, where Magic Johnson Park is and across the street there are these apartments that apparently even since my mom was little that's where all the gang members live you just don't go down there and so it was weird to me because like here I am on this block where everybody knows who I am because one they know my grandfather because he trained and bred Rottweilers there and then they all know my mom they know my family they know me and I'm like I don't know any of you and then shit happens in the neighborhood. There were so many times when, like, somebody got shot. Or there were just gunshots ringing off. Because all of the emergency services were down the street, mm-hmm. literally all day, every day, you hear sirens. And then the dogs howling with the sirens and shit. So, here I am. I moved from this quiet neighborhood. Oh, work. Let's stop that. So, yeah. So, growing up and, like, hearing, you know, sirens literally all day, every day, and gunshots and shit, it was weird moving to that area and getting accustomed to that. Because I was 11, 12 or so. Um, And it was just weird because, like, when I moved there, everyone just seemed, like, oblivious to it. Like, it was just the ambiance of the neighborhood. And I'm like... It's like background noise. Like yeah, shit like that. I'm like, like I, I hear the shit, and I'm like, y'all don't hear that? Like, that don't fuck with y'all? It doesn't y'all? bother you? Yeah. It doesn't bother you at all? And they're like, what? Nah. And then, as I got older, I, same shit. I'd be standing outside with some of my boys, and I remember it'd be like, the street lights came on, normally you didn't want to be outside, unless you was just about that life. <laughs> I was never about that life. But we'd just be standing outside talking, and we just hear, and like we may pause look all right so anyways as we were saying and that's just what it was like classic thing 
Fourth of July rolls around, and you play the favorite <laughs> game, gunshots or fireworks. Mm-hmm. The first time I told my white friends about that when I moved here, they're like, what? <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what is that? I'm like, gunshots or fireworks. You know, like, you can't tell if it's somebody shooting or if it's fireworks. And they're like, that's not okay. And I, my reaction is just, oh, well, you know. It is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. Yeah, shit happens. <laughs> so, like, like I'm, I'm thankful that as far as traumatic experiences go, like, my home life was very stable. Like, yeah, I grew up without, without my dad, too, but for me, like, I was an only child, so, like, my mom did it all. Um, and then, like, my stepdad was there as well, but, like, at the very core of things, it was always me and my mom. So I was used to that. I was used to my dad not being there. And it wasn't until I hit my teens that I'm like, okay, yo, this shit is fucking me up. Like, wh- what the fuck? You know what I mean? Um, but for the most part, growing up without a dad was very normal to me. Because I was always surrounded by my cousins or my uncles or, you know, older cousins. And, you know, granted only like maybe one of them out of like six <laughs> were actual quality male role models but like i was surrounded by all these guys that were teaching me what not to do but i distinctly recall i think i said this on our first the first episode i distinctly recall my uncle telling me don't be like me and my other cousin telling me don't be like me don't be like your grandfather don't be like your uncles if you're gonna be like anybody be like terry which is my cousin uh he's like he is the father figure in my life. So, um, like, my home life, being inside my home, you would never think of the shit outside. Because my mom wasn't about that shit. She, very, she kept me very much away from it. And then all of my homies that I had, they recognized, like, yo, you're going to get out of here, so don't do this. <laughs> like, don't be around this shit. You know what I mean? Um, so it was always strange because there was such a disconnect between what was going on inside my home and what was going on outside of it. And I don't know, man, like certain things as far as that I can remember being traumatic, like one thing was, uh, I don't know what the fuck was up and during that time, but like niggas was just robbing people for like little shit. Like, if you were walking home from school, like, you'd get your shit taken. Like, the big thing was everybody was getting into skating in the hood. So everybody had boards. One of my boys, shout out to my boy JB, um, like, some dude hit him and, like, just stuck his shit and took his board and ran off. And mind you, we were all of 10 feet away from him. He was behind us. And I guess the dude, like, stopped him, boom, took his shit. So we turned around and we're like, what the fuck? So we go to try to find the dude. We go down this neighborhood, hit a main street. We turn. We see the guy. But then we also see 30 more niggas with him. And they're all looking at us. And we're like, fuck. This is not it. This is not (laughs) it, chief. And, like... Because we're mad and we're like, what the fuck? Like, it's three of us. How the fuck did this happen? Yeah. So we like we were trying, we were determined like we're getting your shit back. And we're kinda like walking towards him, but we realize like 
it was like more niggas coming out of the woodworks and we're like no <laughs> like let's just go get on the bus let's go home like this is fucking bullshit but because of that happening and because so many of my friends were getting jacked getting jumped it made me paranoid so I remember I carried a kitchen knife in my backpack it was either in my backpack or because like, I used to wear really big hoodies or I can I always have my hand in my in my pocket so I'd have I'd hold a knife like this like my mom did not know that if she listens to the podcast no <laughs> sorry mama sorry mom or someone in my family is gonna hear this and be like Deshaun did you know that your son <laughs> whatever whatever <laughs> um but yeah, like it made me very paranoid. And that was when I first learned like, don't get caught lacking. Like, head on a constant swivel. Yep. Like aware of your surroundings. Be aware of your surroundings. Now my stepdad, he was very street smart. I was book smart. And he would like give me lectures, like he'd be pissed. Like, you gotta be street smart. If you walk you walking with your head down, somebody gonna come up on you and take your shit. Or if you got money in your pocket, don't have your hands in your pockets. Because they will know that's the pocket with the money. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, don't have your shit just out in the open. So, he taught me that. And then from then, I was just like, okay. Like, I'd be damned if somebody catch me. Like, not like I had shit. I didn't have a fucking thing. I was broke. But, it was just one of those things where it was like, this happened to somebody who I fuck with heavy. And we, and then I realized like, we take this same route every fucking day. How the fuck do I know that people aren't watching us? We literally take the same route every single day. It made me so paranoid that I would go out of my way to change up how I walked to school. Because I lived on, like, I lived in L.A., went to school in Inglewood. So, I'm going clear across, across town. It's like going from here to... Hmm downtown phoenix maybe maybe not that actually no yeah that far so from yeah from like here to downtown phoenix basically like outskirts of downtown phoenix Mm -hmm. so so it's like i'm nowhere near my home i take the same way every fucking day then i start noticing like this dude is always here at this time this dude is always here at this time i see that dude every fucking day why is he watching me like it made me so fucking paranoid. I'd go out of my fucking way and it would take so much longer. I'm like, ain't nobody gonna catch me. Right. Fuck the bullshit. Go the cut. <laughs> yeah, go do the cut. And that's the thing, like, growing up, you think, nothing happens in the daytime. Like, the sun is out. I'm good. People are scared of the sun. People are scared of the sun. Bullshit. Freaks come out at night. Exactly. <laughs> that was my mentality. Yeah. And, like... Oh, we got jumped in broad daylight. I'm like, what the fuck? Then I also learned people are cowards. Mm-hmm. People will watch you get jumped yep. and not do shit. Like, it's because they're afraid they get fucked up. Too. Yeah. Like, and, and it's so crazy to me because, like, knowing that that shit happened, there were so many of my classmates that that happened to because my school was like the school for, for nerds and shit. So, and people knew that. So, oftentimes I figured, like, I figured out that a lot of the other kids, they would look at our school like, oh, they, they all marks. Easy. Easy targets. But I'm like, 
nah, there's some hood niggas here too. Like, <laughs> there's some hood niggas here too. Like, they'll fuck your shit up. Um, so like, that was a majority of where like my trauma came from. And yeah, there were there were bullies, but like, I learned very early on like, I because I'm very self-deprecating. <laughs> I always have been. So if you can't say something that I haven't said to myself, yeah, you're not gonna win. Exactly. Like, I've always been a big dude, so like, fat jokes didn't do shit to me. Cause I'm like, that's the best you got. I say meaner shit to myself in the mirror. Like, <laughs> try again. Plus, I realized like, I, as a defense mechanism, I was overly nice to people. So I was overly nice to the point that like, if anyone tried to bully me, there was always someone else. That's like, why are you fucking with B? Like. What's, what's your problem? It was one of those type deals. Yeah. But, like, I don't even know where I got the self-deprecating shit from. Like, yeah. take that back. I do know where I got it from. But that's for another podcast episode. That's some toxic family shit. <laughs> I just, holy fuck, I just had an epiphany. Damn it, that's where it comes from. Fuck. Okay. Anyways, stay on topic. Um... <laughs> that's that's wild that that just clicked. That's crazy when you find that's when you put so shit crazy. together like that. Fuck! And it just comes out at like the worst moment. Right? Yeah. Like, like, yo, we're talking about trauma. Like, damn, I just had this epiphany. Like, fuck! <laughs> it's all connected. Yeah, shit. It's all interconnected. Um, but like, I, as far as recognizing, like, that would also be my next question. How do you recognize? Like, how does it affect your relationships with people? <laughs> and like how you move in society like I know for me the big thing was with the whole like not getting caught lacking I didn't realize my head was on a constant swivel I was always nervous wherever I was going and so I didn't notice that it was always I'm always looking over my shoulder I'm always peeping shit until I moved here and like I was living on campus my freshman year and we used to go to Sparky's Den mm-hmm. for bowling and shit and we'd be walking back to our dorm because we lived in Hacienda, and like yeah. we take the back ways, and it's just like dark as shit. Yeah. And it's me, my roommate Juan Carlos, and then like all of our white friends. So we're <laughs> the only people of color because he's yeah. Mexican. Yeah. And he understood it because he did the same thing. Yeah. And we're with mostly girls, so we're walking through, and we're just checking, checking, checking. Like, we both had knives. So we're just like... <laughs> and they're like, why do you do that? I'm like, do what? Like, you're never right. just looking straight ahead. Right. I'm like... You're always you look, aware you, of your surroundings. Yeah, I'm like, so you just you just look straight ahead or right. you look down? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, that's how you get God. Yeah. <laughs> the look on their face is like, that's how what? That's how you get what? God? What Some people catch you slipping. So that was just, it was like I was speaking a foreign language. And they were just like, what the, f- what the fuck is that, Brandon? And I'm like, I, I can't explain it to you. Like, and then I realized, like, who's oh. after you, Brandon? And then I, right. And that's, that's what it was. It's like somebody who's after you, you. Who's coming to get you? Who's after you? I don't know anyone. The boogeyman. Everyone. I don't <laughs> fucking know. And, and it was like, I remember when we got back to the door, I'm talking to my room, and I'm like, Yo, I think I have a problem. He's like, Man, it's not a problem to me. I'm like, yeah, because it's it's normal to you. This shit isn't normal. What's gonna happen in Tempe? Nothing. <laughs> Little did I know, shit be happening in Tempe. <laughs> shit happens in Tempe. 
But like, yeah. and I and I realized like that was always my mentality too. It was like, I'm not gonna get caught lacking out here. I'm gonna be aware of my surroundings. I, I wish a motherfucker would run up. Like it's a rat, and it that also exposed me to privilege. That people could just walk around and not think of that shit and just, well, I'm just going about my day and I'm like, that's that's weird. That's not normal. So that was that was the major thing for me. <clears throat> Um, what about you guys? Like, has your trauma affected how you interact with people, or just how you how you move day to day? I think with me and like how the bullying affected me when I was in high school, and the bullying like going into high school my freshman year, the bullying stopped because like, but I was still really cautious with how I went about and like how I kind of carried myself in my classroom, in my like social settings, because I felt like in my head, if I said any little thing, like someone was gonna like get me for it or like uh, or someone was gonna like say some shit and it was gonna affect me and I was gonna, you know, I was gonna see that as bullying. And so I basically like all throughout high school, like I carried myself, I was real, um, I was real secluded in the way, like I still had my friend groups and this and that. I was real insecure about everything I did. I was really introverted with a lot of things that I did. And so, and then especially, so my junior year, I got bullied by this one, like just this one kid for like this, he was just being, he was just basically an asshole. Like everybody comes across those people, those types of people. And like, he would always just pester me about shit. And he wasn't like, he was friends with the people I was friends with and like mm. I didn't really consider him a friend and so basically he would say some shit off of like some sh- like shit I did but like I was a kid you know I was like 16 17 years old or whatever just yeah. being dumb whatever you know and so he would call me a bitch like you're a pussy like you want to shit like da 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 he was basically texting me like wanting him to fight wanting him me to fight him and so like we eventually did fight and you know it kind of subsided after that but it's just like you know, little shit like that, and especially after that, I kind of was really insecure about just a lot of things that I did and, like, how I carried myself, and then my senior year, uh, towards the middle, like, last, like, towards the middle semester, like, or middle of the year, like, kind of was the end of the year, I, saw, I, I started to see myself, like, break out of that shell mm-hmm. of, like, the insecure, uh, introverted, like, Giacomo, and basically, like, I saw myself like I saw little like the tiniest of glimpses of like who I am today of like mm-hmm. super friendly like talkative like I I think I've always been a friendly dude like yeah. whatever I think that had to do with the bullying <laughs> and like, this and that but I definitely saw more of myself like come out mm-hmm. of my shell in that sense and so and then as I when I uh, a little background I went to a junior college right out of high school played football there a couple years I think going through that experience definitely even helped like crack that shell open that much more mm-hmm. and open and like just make me like made me become the extrovert that I am today and so mm-hmm. the way I moved especially in high school like yeah I played sports and I was involved in that and like people knew me for that but I think that was it you mm-hmm. know I always thought that people had this reputation of like oh Giacomo he's like you know he's a little weird or, like he got bullied which I'm sure people knew that I got bullied but like like you said nobody ever did shit about it right, you know like right. I had to stand up for myself learn to stand up learn to teach myself how to stand up for myself mm-hmm. and so that really kind of affected the way I moved but like with the people that I surrounded myself with like in high school like my best friend I really got to know him uh, my current best friend got to know him more in high school and so he was a big help with that 
and like kind of getting through those times and like you know people would notice how I act or like people would like joke around with me and they'll be like and I'll t in in my eyes I see that as you're saying hurtful things to me mm -hmm. because I can't tell the difference between the sarcasm in your voice mm -hmm. and the seriousness because when I in, in middle school it seemed just all serious like self-bashing like right. whatever you know like in the classroom like a recess whatever you want to call it and so mm -hmm. sometimes it was hard for me to uh, differentiate the or, uh, yeah difference the joking between mm -hmm. like the actual hurtful words and mm -hmm. so that was kind of hard for me uh, there I've sometimes I still struggle with this to the day it's like are you joking it's like but like most of the time like people are joking like right. I mean people we surround ourselves to this day like I surround myself with a lot of older people for sure mm -hmm. uh, majority of the time so a lot of the time it's just it's all out of love and it's all joking yeah. so I think that having like the way I moved in high school it was it's a lot different than how I did than how I do now mm -hmm. I'm much more open with my story and like how mm -hmm. and who I surround myself with but like going back to what you said about you know keeping your head on a swivel and like being aware of your surroundings like especially after high school I was always you know aware of like what was trying to be aware as much as I can of what's going on mm -hmm. in doing that and then especially ever since um, I joined Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated I've become much more aware of like what's going on like what's mm -hmm. around me like okay there's that there's pe those people over there like you know this and that so that in itself has helped a lot but um yeah good like that. i i it's great that we can kind of <laughs> we can look back on where we were and then recognize okay mm -hmm. yeah this was fucked up but i was able to move past yeah. it and i think the key thing with mental health and and just living day to day oftentimes people think it's just a continuous rise but it's like, no, we're going to have our times when we slip. We're going to have yeah, our times exactly. when shit... We're not perfect. We're right. Human. The definition of being human is we are not perfect. Exactly. Learn from your past mistakes. Mm -hmm. Take little things. Like, one thing I learned from just the little, every little mistake I've made, I've taken something from that. And I've mm -hmm. applied it somewhere else to better myself. Mm -hmm. And so, each little, like, those, all those little instances of bullying mm -hmm. were all the little traumas. The big trauma that I feel like I definitely went through was, like, my junior year of the suicidal thoughts, me wanting to kill myself, like, more than once, but especially my junior year, like, I was so, I was so hell-bent on just, like, my dad's got it. My dad in his den in our house back home, he had a samurai sword from this training he did um, back in the day, and so he had the samurai sword up on a shelf, and I was literally thinking of, like, that night going into his, you know, going into his den taking out the samurai sword and just taking it either I don't know where like to the neck to the jugular whatever mm -hmm. like the quick and easy way to mm -hmm. like the fastest way if he had a gun it would have been straight to the head like right. done I, w I don't want to feel any pain because right. I've already felt enough pain so mm -hmm. it's like going through that and that was the that was definitely like the big trauma like Vic had said and so I'm like damn that shit is just you know looking back on it and learning from all those experiences like i'm so glad i didn't honestly yeah. i'm so yeah. glad i didn't because <clears throat> so I. at the time i was 17 i was just like i didn't know any better like i was right. i wasn't even an adult even technically an adult yet and so right. it's like but no like to see like so just like i said so glad i didn't <laughs> with with moving past that was it more so just like sheer willpower like just no, it really, pushing, pushing past the thoughts it really, and everything it really was because like having to I really had to dig deep and one thing that really helped like you know everybody has outlets for everything they do and like yeah. for me it was football like I started playing football when I was 11 years old and that was when the the bullying had already the bullying had 
been commenced, but especially like when it started, like that was my outlet. Like I looked my first year, I didn't really look forward to going to practice because like I was still new and I didn't know. And then like going into my second year, I was like, okay, I know, <laughs> I know what I need to do. And like, I knew how to better myself when it came to like the sport. And so I looked forward to going to practice and just hitting and hitting and like hitting and just going through the drills and just, you know, just working at it. And so that was my outlet when it came to that and kind of coping with it to where like I felt like all that pent up like anger mm-hmm. uh, you know aggression same thing this the hurt the pain everything like I could just let it all out yeah. like that was the field the football field was this was the time for me to basically let out the animal that was that's been you know still living and in, still inside right. me that's still burning right inside of me and so that was a really big help for me the outlet there and like to this day uh, I still um, I still look back on my experience like playing football as like that outlet like coping with the bullying and the pain and trauma that I went through mm-hmm. that really was a big help and like now I'm, li- I'm I'm working out you know a lot I'm in a fitness major uh, exercise and wellness if anyone's curious and so I'm basically live in the gym six days a week mm-hmm. um, I use that time in the gym to channel that those traumatic moments in my past to help me get through you know my workout or to push me through the day or to you know I'll think back like to those things that that kid my junior year said he's like you're a bitch like you ain't shit you suck he he always like commented on my football skills like you suck at this you suck at that like mm. I'm faster than you like he was just basically just, you know he's being an asshole and putting me down so getting through the foot the being like having an outlet like football and any sport honestly any sport can help anyone like that and so I think having an outlet like that was a huge help and if I didn't have football like honestly I probably would have killed myself if I didn't mm. I probably would have yeah, just not having that outlet yeah. for the release. Like it yeah, just, exactly. It just builds. Exactly, and yeah. it builds on top of each other. And that's, like, another thing is having some... One thing is, like, having someone to talk to, having people to talk to to, like, vent is really important when it comes to mental health, especially if they're going some some going through some form of trauma like that. That's just that's just huge because if you don't have a solid, like, support group, it's just, like, you feel alone. And there was a lot of times where I did feel alone right. and I couldn't go to my friends. Right. And I realized, like... When I got out of high school, I'm just like, yo, they're my friends for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. go to them when you need, like, if you need to talk to them. Right. And I've really come to learn that that's a big deal, especially now, especially being surrounded by so many, like, the people that I am surrounded by today. It's just like, dude, you need to talk to someone. Like, go yeah. talk to someone, you know, whether that's a brother, a, you know, a sister, a family member, a friend, uh, a therapist, a counselor, whatever that may be. Like, mm-hmm. dude, if you need to, like, talk to someone, like, you should definitely do that. Definitely, man. So definitely, I. I mean, shit. You can always talk to me. So, oh, of course. So I appreciate. Throw, yeah. throw me in. Appreciate. There. It. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the One Zen more. space. Hell you yeah. Yo, appreciate B, I need to come through. Need to just vent. Yeah. Come through. I like some yeah. incense, and we're good. I'm with it. Um, my brother, I actually, I actually know a lot about how your shit has affected you and how you move. Yeah. But I'm still. I realize like I said <laughs> earlier. I'm still putting pieces together. The certain things, they don't make a lick of sense to me. And then you explain some other factor of your upbringing or some of the shit that you've experienced. And I'm like, there the fuck it is. Um, just a testament to us knowing each other. One thing that I've noticed about you is like with being guarded, you've actually 
you're actually a bit less guarded now than when we first met. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, it all comes with uh, comfort level. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I can see that your time is getting red, so... Oh, yeah, we got, like, <coughs> four, <coughs> yeah, four minutes, whatever. Four but, minutes, um, it, yeah, it definitely does have to do with the, the comfort level. Um, mm. When I first moved out here to Arizona, um, I had a, a tough time settling in um, only because <clears throat> the stuff I was used to out there in Detroit. Right. You know, the sirens, the I remember trying to go to sleep and I couldn't because same that was what I needed to fall asleep it was my my safety blanket per se um, um, because we're oh. used to that would you say <coughs> that uh, like the level of quietness it bothered me it bothered you yeah same same because um, I, I I don't know about you but like for me if, if shit was that quiet that wasn't that was not yeah, a good sign. Something was gonna happen. It's, right. Yeah, it's the same. It was the same thing because uh, with with a lot of stuff going on, the noises, <clears throat> the sirens, the police um, helicopters, uh, sirens or gunshots and all that shit, people screaming. Um, you knew at least people were vigilant because of those sounds. And when it's quiet, everyone's asleep, so no one's paying attention. Mm-hmm. So if shit happens, it happens with no one knowing. Yeah. Um, noise was a sign of life. Yeah, definitely. De- noise is definitely a sign, uh, a sign of life. <clears throat> so, um, and I noticed a lot of these ticks that I didn't know I had until I moved here. Mm-hmm. <coughs> it was because of that, you know, the... the the noise level, and you you already know this. When when I go to a restaurant, where do I sit? Facing the door. Yeah. Why? So that you can see anyone coming in. Yeah. Because I gotta size them up and down. You gotta size them up and down. Because. It, and I thought that was the weirdest shit. Because we'd walk into a restaurant, and like he beat me to this. Or if I was about to sit down, like not nah, move. You know it's funny. So going off of that, one of my LBs literally he came over to my crib and his friend from the crib. And, uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's like, in my my door. As soon as you walk into my crib, you got my li- you got my living space to the right, and then you can see my kitchen table. Mm-hmm. And then I only have two chairs, and it's like a table for four, but it's like up against the wall. And so he's the chair, the side of the table that's uh, that you can see when you walk in is the left side of the table, and there's no chair there. And he's like, Jock, you should have a chair right there and sit right there so you can always be facing the door and I'm just like mm-hmm. but and he's from he's from Los Angeles and so mm-hmm. I'm just like okay I was like hmm that's a good point just to be like you said be aware of your surroundings and shit mm-hmm. like that but it's funny that you mentioned it that he mentioned yeah. that always got to be facing the door it's just like yeah. hmm he's, he's not he's not wrong like that's right. a good point you know like <laughs> and I, I realize that also affects me too because that's something that I didn't pay attention to so with living with him like I start paying attention to that shit. So like now, literally the only time that I won't face the door is when I'm home, and it's usually because he's sitting on, he's sitting right there. <coughs> also, I can hear people coming up the stairs. So mm-hmm. well, I got you back too. You know what I'm saying? I'm <laughs> facing the door. Exactly. You know I'm Y'all are facing the door, so I'm like I'm good. <laughs> yeah. um, but I know it's like if we go to a restaurant or whatever, he's facing the door, and 
instead of having my back to the door, I always sit sideways. That's smart, yeah, I was thinking that. Like, That's like the next best option. Like, I hate sitting in booths, partly really? because I'm big, well, yeah, but yeah. also because I can't get up quickly. Right. And if I do have to sit in the booth, I have to sit on the outside, partly because I'm big, but also <laughs> because if I need to move quickly, boom. And I never, like, anytime I'm sitting, I'm hardly ever straight like this. I always have yeah, one. You always leg out, out yeah. Always leg out. Big dude, you got big legs, bro. Yeah, but also, like, yeah. I'm, it's like fight or flight. I'm like, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready I feel to, you, bro. I feel ready to dip. Yeah. Let's, let's stop this right here. Okay, and we're back. So now that being said, <laughs> like, you have your legs sitting out, like, mm -hmm. so if you're on a date with a girl mm -hmm. and she, and she walked, you guys walk into the restaurant and the hostess like booth her table and she says booth before you say anything. So what are you gonna say? You're gonna say anything? Or you're gonna be like, what are you gonna do, man? Okay, uh, okay, I might have to just eat that L. <laughs> but hopefully, oh, hopefully she like sees me and realizes, ah, these boots might not work. Hopefully, oh, man, it's but fluffy, fluffy out here, you know. Chair, saying? but <laughs> but chair. if I if I do gotta eat that L, like I'll just I'll take that. Hey, if the girl's worth it, you know what I'm saying? Exactly, like, like I'll take that I'll, little L. Like I'll take a little discomfort, you know what I mean? But I will still be sitting like with one leg out, oh, just yeah. like Absolutely. on some subtle shit. Bro, shoes, no, like, the man spread is real. Like I feel you. Like I got big legs myself, you know, not yeah. as big as yours, but you know, like I still have to like. Got I'm still to. one, like, especially if I got to dip and run for some odd reason, you exactly. know, like you said, I'm going to have my leg just, you know, showing out like this. <laughs> got to be know, ready. I'm just like, got to have it, you know, I just, like, ah, my leg, you know what I'm saying, like that. I just like, dip out real I, quick. I feel you on that. <laughs> fuck, now I'm like worried that I'm going to go on a date. <laughs> She's going to say booth, and I'm going to be like, fuck. <laughs> like, oh, she, can we sit on a table? Like, these booths are We're going to have to sit on one side, we're going to push that table. Right. Oh, look, okay, look, look, look. So... I I wasn't really a date, but I did meet up with this girl that I met on one of the apps, uh, like a month ago, two months ago, something like that. Ooh, okay. Um, shorty that lived uh in these apartments over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went to Genghis Grill. She she was sitting at like one of the high tables, and so I walked in, and she was sitting in on like on the booth side, and she like scooted over and like patted the seat. She's like, oh, come here, which. Adorable, so I couldn't be like, nah. <laughs> but like, but she is a bigger girl too, so she like she oh, like so she, the table. She, she, she knew she she scooted the table, but it was mm -hmm. cool. I just thought it was awkward because I'm like, if I'm trying to get to know you, I don't want to be sitting right next to you right. talking like I want to have like eye contact. Yeah, we're both gonna be looking straight ahead exactly. like that. So exactly. Exactly. I don't even talk to that girl anymore. <laughs> <sighs> Sad life. Now that we're totally off topic, <laughs> <laughs> right? That just got me thinking about my my love little life little side chat. We digress, <laughs> but I digress. You know, yeah. trauma got me ready ready to go. Yeah. Or what? what TTG train to go. Yep, train to go. Walk at all times. At all yeah. fucking times. And I think part of that, like, you know, that definitely stems from me living with you, because <coughs> yeah. there's certain shit that I'm like, what was good? Like, <laughs> what's what's going on? Because, like, there's been shit where, like, I was never used to guns. Because, like, even with growing up in the hood, like, most of my homies, they didn't have guns. A couple of them did. But they just mostly carried blades. like Or they were really, like, I'm nice with the mitts. Like, <laughs> I could throw hands. <laughs> I could yeah. throw hands, like, yeah. nothing. Because I remember, like, homies would do that shit where, like, 
if you had an issue with somebody, like you called the fade, like easy. Because the theory was like, if you're not angry enough to throw hands, bare knuckles, you're not that mad. And if at the end of fighting you're still mad, go again. So, you know, I I didn't have any experience with guns. Like I'd seen a few, but that was pretty much it. I move in with this guy over here. Strapped to the strapped <laughs> to the teeth. I I'll never forget that day we had to carry that big ass safe. Got my hernia. Oh, got your fucking hernia from that shit. I still gotta do the surgery for that. And like he was like every other month there was a new gun. He's like, oh bro, bro, I gotta show you this gun I just got. And I'm like, why? <coughs> why so many? Then you took me shooting. And I was like, I'm trying to do that. I get this. The man just I'm, buy some ammo. Oh shit! Yeah. yeah See, that's the thing. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm, like, I'm broke, so not anytime soon. But like, when I get some more money, I am down. Yeah. I'll take y'all. Up that's his that. rule. Anyone that wants to go shooting, you just gotta buy the ammo. Cause ammo's expensive. I bet it is. But like, I've gotten so used to it. Like, some shit. Like, <clears> a few <throat> years ago, uh, some shit was happening around here. There was a guy that was shooting. He, we didn't work at the same place at the time, and I was off work. He came home. No, he called me. He's like, yo, I'm about to pull up real quick. And I'm like, all right, cool. He gets home, goes in his room, grabs the AR, hands it to me. He was like, you know where the safety is. You know how to hold it. Wherever you are, this is with you. Just in case the dude was, like, right down the street. Like, mm-hmm. it was, they had the helicopter out and everything. It was crazy. Wow. So, I went from... Not really knowing about guns, not knowing how to hold the guns, and so now I'm like, I'm walking through the crib, like, All right, what's it go? What's, what's good? <laughs> what's good? Who won't be? <laughs> there was Who another. There's another time some shit was happening. He gave me one of his pistols, and like, he's like, just keep it right under your bed, right there. And I'm like, all right, cool. And it stayed there for months. And then you were like, hey, is that gun still there? Yeah, here it is. <laughs> There you go. Like, anytime some shit pops off, yeah. like, our brothers know to call him. Mm, like, like that one time. Yeah. yeah. So that, that one time, a guy actually pulled a gun out on one of my brothers. And we got we got him the fuck out of there. But somehow he got his gun back and fired some shots off into the air. Which, speaking about trauma again, there's three of us. <laughs> Me, uh, Nick, shout out to Nick. Uh, and my other brother, Jay. Mm-hmm. Um, we're standing outside. Like, after all the shit happens, we press this dude. He, get, he gets kicked out. Mm-hmm. So we're standing outside. Mind you, Nick is the only one that carries. So we're standing there, and we're watching this dude. He's, like, arguing with somebody. Mm-hmm. He fires some shots into the air. This is how I know that we were all fucked up. Mm-hmm. Because while everybody else is like, oh, my God, we're just standing there like, Mm. That's it. Yeah, that's all you gonna do. That's all you gonna do. And oh, we can see, dude. Like yeah. he's he's a good like two hundred, three hundred feet away. Okay. But like we see him go across the street, and I remember telling Nick, "Oh, he gonna fire some shots. He not gonna shoot at anyone. He gonna fire some shots." Sure enough, he went right across. And his arm went up. Fired a couple shots, like four, and we just stood there, just like that was cute. <sighs> well, all right. Cops will be here soon, so everybody leave. Right. And so I'm sitting there like, okay, when do I call Vic? Like, do I call him now? What, what, what are we doing? 
And we're kind of we're just like standing there. Nick pulled his gun out, and we're just standing there waiting, like, okay, what's gonna happen? Then I finally called him. I'm like, yo, come through. Nigga, shoot. <laughs> he comes. I had to I had to text him because the cops came. Like they flooded the streets, and I was like, I know you're speeding. <laughs> Slow it down. Cops are here. And because like everybody knows yeah, his jeep. <laughs> no, he didn't. We could hear his tires. I was like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> his tires, and we heard the music. We hear the bass. Like, oh, there he goes. This dude had his backpack filled with shit. He was, he was ready for war. Ready. <laughs> ready. Ready. Ready oh to God. go. Ready for action. That's all because of the upgrade. Mm-hmm. Know? Exactly. When, when you grow up where you know, you're used to that shit, mm-hmm. <clears throat> someone messes with yours, you got to protect. Absolutely. And like I said, you know, when that shit happened with my daughter, mm-hmm. um, pulled out the AK-47 and started, you know, let it off. Yeah. <clears throat> it's the same thing. You guys are family. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to protect my family. So mm-hmm. when you text me or you called me and you said, hey, there's something shooting out here, fuck that. That's mm-hmm. serious. Those guys, you know, I know my brothers, you know, with the exception of Nick, don't carry, but <clears throat> something shooting my brothers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot back. So, uh-huh. Yep. So, that was like two in the morning. Yeah, it was. Um, it didn't even take me that long because I just grabbed the MPX, you know, the submachine gun, yeah. um, and a couple of handguns, threw it in the backpack, threw magazines in there, mm-hmm. and threw ran yeah, to the Jeep. You got there quick. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because the stash after we after, offline, you know what I'm yeah, saying? So, I, gotta, I gotta check this. So shit when down. when uh, when <laughs> I got in the jeep, like I was literally running red lights. I didn't give a shit. Damn. <laughs> you know me. I used to be a fucking sheriff. So yeah, all and I had to do was fucking. Too. And that's the thing. So like before I called him, because our brothers they know, mm-hmm. especially Nick and Jay. So I was like, y'all know, as soon as I call him, like. He'll be here within five minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know he's going to be ready to go. Is this a situation for it? <laughs> because I don't want to call him for nothing. They're like, and we, and we waited. Because I could have called him. <laughs> I had my phone in my, I happened to have my phone in my hand when dude let off shots. I could have called him right then. He probably would have killed dude and would have been off to mm-hmm. prison for murder. No, I would have ran him over because you know, I, I would have said, true. you know, fucking, he pointed the gun at me. I had to do what I had to do. Self-defense. <laughs> True, and I definitely would have backed up that story for sure. Um, but yeah, so like as soon as I called him, I was like, he'll be here in like five minutes. And so, and like we we could hear him coming, and I'm like, All right, I'll warn him that the cops are here, but that's not gonna do shit. Like, you know, yeah, I didn't give a shit because as soon as the the minute I stepped out of the jeep, you know, I had my backpack on my back, mm-hmm. and um, I saw the first deputy police officer. I saw, I was like, hey. Um, it was the SO. Uh, what's going on here? And uh, that's when Jay was like, "Yeah, he's he's, he's <laughs> yeah." We were literally all like, "Uh huh, he cool. That's, he that's good, brother. He, he's sheriff." <laughs> Y'all want him on so, your side? I was like, "Hey, I'm just gonna go over here with them. Just make sure they're all good. Um, you need anything from me?" They were like, "Nah, go ahead." Boom. That, that was a, that was the first time I ever actually like talked to cops <coughs> and gave them information. I felt so weird doing that. Yeah, you know, I feel so odd. It, it, it is like you know, when the way we grew up, you, you couldn't trust them. Yeah. But here I am, 
fucking with with you know the SO. Yep. And you know I, I you know wore the badge for five and a half years and and. Um, Which I'm I know I say this all the time but I'm really glad you got out of that. <coughs> I am too. <clears throat> you know because of the political climate and the uh, the stigma of being in law enforcement yeah. is has right now so. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, is is you know the main reason I did it is because my kid wanted me out of it, and um, I wanted to be around for my kid. So, yeah, it's uh, one of the main reasons I, I decided to get out. Really. Yeah, once once you told me that you were you were getting out, like I think when you told the brothers, we were all like, "Thank God, fucking hell!" Because and it wasn't even like because of like you know the stigma with police, like because we know you. But it was just like, you know, because you're family. So it was like, uh, cool. He's not in that shit. He's not dealing with that shit. Good. Our guy is safe. <coughs> yeah. Because even, dude, just interactions with police and just the shit that I've seen, that, <laughs> that's trauma. Oh, Bro. fucking hell. Bro. Speaking, Bro. speaking of traumatic shit. So... <coughs> I had never been in a police car before. I had avoided that all of my life, you know. Thank goodness for looking like a square. Back when I had short hair. Um, But we had an incident. That was last year, right? Yeah, last year, like around my birthday. Yeah, around your birthday. We come back from a hockey game. (coughs) Participating in Caucasian activities. And it was the Coyotes versus the Kings. Versus and the Kings. You love the Kings. And I love the Kings. Shout out to LA Kings. You know <laughs> so uh, we had to go back to our jobs. We work at a, at a dealership because we had to get through a major Jeep. Well, that was parked in the front. Not parked in, not parked in the, the fucking front. Parked <laughs> in the front. We can see it. We're walking up. You know what I think it was? Because we were wearing black. Yeah. <laughs> we were wearing all black. I was wearing my Tims and shit, you know, looking mad niggerish, you know? <laughs> so. So mad niggerish. It was right in my head. right in my head. So, the security guard there. Mind you, he didn't say shit until we were already, like, past the gate. Yeah. Like, like, we, we, we walked past him. We like, walked we past him. He said, hey, what's up? Gotta go get my vehicle. And then, <laughs> he basically accused us of stealing the vehicle. And he's like, it's it's my vehicle. Starts shows on the key, starts the shit up, because it's the remote start, and he still insists that we were stealing it. So we kept walking. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm about to leave my jeep. Open the fucking gate. Yeah. Tell the guy that we both work there. I don't have my badge, but you have your badge inside. So, <laughs> and this is this is what still blows my mind. This dude is on the phone, basically. What do you call nine one one? Yeah. Saying that we were robbing, we were stealing a vehicle. You told him that I work here. I'll go get my badge. And I told to him like, it. "Hey, make sure you tell him I work here." Yeah. The whole and the whole time I'm sitting in the jeep and I'm like, "All right." And he goes to get. He goes inside the dealership. <laughs> inside the fucking dealership to get his fucking badge, which blew my mind because I'm like, "So you're worried about him stealing a car, but let him go inside the building." Like, what? What sense does that make? He goes to get his badge. And the time that it took for him to go get his badge, four police trucks pull up. They hop out. Guns pointed at me. 
shit. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sitting in the Jeep. Jeep is on. And I'm sitting there. I'm on my phone. Because I'm like texting or whatever. And I look up. Because all of a sudden I hear yelling. And I hear <laughs> guns being cocked. And I'm like, oh, Oh, this is not good. <laughs> Fuck. But I don't want to move. So, yeah. like, I'm just sitting there like... Fuck you. What? <laughs> and what was confusing is that they said, driver, exit the vehicle. And I I, just, I looked at the seat and I'm like... You're in the passenger seat? Well, driver. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the passenger seat. I'm like, driver. <laughs> exit. So then they yell it again. And I'm like, okay, that's me. So I'm like... Uh, fuck, I don't know what to do. And I think I just, like, put my phone... I think I just dropped my phone, like, on the floor. Stepped out. It is hard stepping out of that fucking Jeep. Stepped out, hands in the air. They had me walk back. You know, the usual procedure. They were like, get down on your knees. And I'm like, that's gonna be... I gotta put my hands down for that, bro, because I'm gonna fall. (laughs) So... So they let me put one head down so that I could steady myself so I don't fall. They come through, cuff me, which <clears throat> I've been handcuffed before. Different circumstances. <laughs> this was not pleasant. <laughs> Going through my pockets and shit, they put me in the truck, which those seats are mad uncomfortable. There is no room. I feel like they're made to be uncomfortable. Exactly. <laughs> And and I'm sitting there. I can't I can't sit straight because I'm I'm big. So I'm sitting basically like this, dog. Yo. It was it was the most uncomfortable shit. So like they got me in cuffs. I see him walking out, and I'm like trying not to panic because I'm like, bruh, bruh. I have lived my entire life through L.A. Compton the whole nine. Never been in handcuffs. What the fuck? Now I'm in Chandler in handcuffs. What kind of backward shit is this? So they do the they do the same thing with him, and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, okay, uh, get me the fuck out of here because it's hot. I'm sweating. I'm uncomfortable, and I'm on the verge of freaking the fuck out right yeah. now. So one of the cops goes, he's like, um, he's like, we're gonna talk to you, talk to your friend here, talk to the security guard or whatever. Uh, I'll turn the AC on for you, and I'm sitting there. And I notice I'm panicking. And natural reaction, my eyes are darting. And I'm looking, looking real crazy, just like. And I had to really just like, I had to take a moment and just be like, okay, you need to calm down. Because anything can fucking happen. They see you darting all over the place looking crazy. You know, that's not going to be good for you. So I'm panicking, trying not to panic, and then panicking about trying not to panic. (laughs) Whole time I'm just sitting there, uncomfortable. They finally, uh, they talk to you. They come, they talk to me, and tell them what happened. They talk to him again. And then they let us out, uncuff us and everything. And they're bas- <laughs> they were mad. <laughs> they were like, sorry about this, guys. Like, <laughs> we, we don't like to do this, but you know. Because <laughs> one of the guys, he looked at me and he's like, you know, said Grand Theft Auto. That's why we came out, you know, guns blazing. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with the climate. Because oh, yeah. they, they knew. They're like, you know, with the climate of everything, you know, we, we don't like to do this with innocent people, you know. Um, the whole time, I am quiet as shit. <laughs> because 
this is very significant trauma for me. <laughs> so he's doing all the talking, and I'm just standing there like, I want to go home. <laughs> I don't like this. I need, to go to, I need to go to bed. <laughs> I need to call my mom. I don't even think I called her and told her. <laughs> I don't think I did, because she would have freaked out. Um, <coughs> the crazy shit is, because we're in a dealership, there's cameras all over the place. So, of course, he called... Who'd you call it? He called Nissen, right? Yeah, the GM. The GM. Called him, told him... Mind you, it's, what, one in the morning, something like that? Like, no, it's, no, it's, I don't know, it was, it was, early, it was a little bit earlier, earlier than that. Earlier than that yeah. It was like, like 11 or something like that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he calls him, leaves him a message telling him what happened. And um, I'm silent the whole way. <laughs> I'm in shock. I'm like, I've never been in handcuffs like that. I've never been in the back of a police car. I've never had that many guns drawn on me before. Like, what? And so the next day, we go to work. And he tells me, he's like, yeah, that security guard's gone. <laughs> he's gone. And, I, dude, by the next fucking morning, by the time I clock in for work, everybody knows what happened. I get, because we work in different departments. Yeah. So I go, because I work in parts, I go to my little area or whatever, and my bosses are in there, and they're like, Yo, what's up, criminal? And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> They're like, yeah, we saw, <laughs> we watched the footage. <laughs> so many people had watched it, and they saw what happened because they were like, what the fuck? Like, it was a running joke for like a solid week and a half. <clears throat> but the whole time, I'm like, I'm traumatized. Well, yeah, this is funny, but I, I'm traumatized. That's not okay. Like, what the fuck? Had me looking at security guards differently. <laughs> Right. Fuck, the, fuck those rent-a-cops. Remember, remember when they were? They asked me, "Hey, do you have any weapons on you?" I was like, "Yeah, there's three guns in the backpack." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was the funniest shit too. Cause this was this was afterwards. Like they were like, "Did you have two weapons?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, three guns, three guns in, in the backpack." backpack. <laughs> and they were like, "You got any? You got any more?" I was like, "Yeah, I would have had the fourth one, but it got a little bit too heavy." <laughs> and then they, they're like, "Cause I had my backpack," and they were like looking through it, and I had. Um, some saran wrap. It was, yeah, it was like, like saran wrap or something from something that I ate. It's like the saran wrap. And it was and like white shit. They were looking at it because it looked like crack it, cocaine. It looked like crack. And some, like powdered, powdered shit. Dude. Like, <laughs> dude. Dude. You know I was like, like oh God, no. <laughs> they're like they're looking through. They're like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, it's just saran wrap. <laughs> From something I ate, I swear. And, then I was like, <laughs> and they, were, they asked me, they were like, you know what this substance is? I was like, yeah, that's quick clot. Quick clot. Yeah, you know, stuff in the trauma pack, you know, make, you know, when you dress wounds, it'll <laughs> stop bleeding and everything. It's quick oh, clot. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he was like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> and then me, I'm just sitting there like, yeah, it's whatever he said it is. It's, just, it's not because yeah, I have a trauma pack in my backpack. I thought they were talking about mine, but mm. they were talking about it. Yeah, they're backpack. talking about mine. <laughs> and I was like, I, I really hope I don't have knives in there. I really hope I don't. And I didn't. The one time I didn't. That's crazy. That is, yeah. It was I can nuts. See how that was bro. traumatic. Dude, I was uncomfortable at work for like three weeks. Bro, I bet. And of course, all these white people, they're just making jokes about it. And I'm like, Bro, this ain't funny. You don't fucking get it. <laughs> and of course, like the few black people that work there, I'm talking to them and they're like, Nigga, yo. 
<laughs> we feel you. Yo, you good, bro? And I'm like, yeah. I, yeah, we saw that footage, man. Like, yo, yo, you you straight? You that's that's terrible. You went through that. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm not, but I'm okay. <laughs> Like it was so fucking fuck that fuck that whole fuck that security guard. Hope he's not securing shit. Oh Lord, did we, did we he's cover secure, everything? He's securing his unemployment. Well, I'm still going with the 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 whole <clears throat> ticks and shit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that tremendous about segue fucking, about three different things. Yeah, because we 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 talked about you know fucking. I was like, what do I do when I go to a restaurant? Yeah, that's what we went on. Yeah, but. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, um, when I meet people, um, they see me, the masked me, Mm -hmm. they don't get the real me, Yeah, you know, and it takes a while before they actually get to know the real me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it only happens with like close, close people, like the regular people, I need them to see me as a weak, happy person because... I don't want them to know that fuck I'm always strapped. Right. Right. I need them to see the fake me. Mm-hmm. Um so that way they don't they if they ever try to do anything, I'm already prepared. Yeah. I'm ready to go. So So you did that you did that backwards with me. <coughs> right. But the only reason that it was backwards with you is because of our shared trauma. Right. You know? Um and because you were trying to become a part of the fraternity. Right. I have to do. Um, you have to see the real me because you're trying to become part of the family. True. You know, so it's different. True. It's different with with the fraternity. Uh, fraternity wise, we have to be open. We have to. Um, we have to gain common ground with people that we're trying to bring into the fraternity because mm-hmm. you know, you you as as much as we want to you know bring in all these members and everything, mm-hmm. we want to make sure that the people that we intake. Um, can identify with everyone else that's in the fraternity. You know, everyone yeah. else has different backgrounds, different upbringings, and everything, different experiences, different mm-hmm. traumas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. But when you meet somebody like I did when I met you, um, when you're like, I'm from Compton. Well, shit, I'm from Detroit. You know, so you already know urban life. Right. You know? Right. So you know what it's like to to wake up go to sleep with sirens mm-hmm. um, gunshots and all that shit so yeah. I had to <clears throat> tell you hey I know what you what you went through mm-hmm. I know what your upbringing was like mm-hmm. um, I did it too mm-hmm. and look at me I'm successful I went to I got into an attorney and look I have letters you do can have letters if you want to become a part of this organization you know that if you become a part of this organization there's someone just like you in it. True. And that's and that's why, like I said, that is literally we, what he told me. For we me. had to <clears throat> we had to be open with ourselves with everyone that we were trying to potentially bring into the fraternity. Yeah. It's it's a must. Yeah. You can't be like, oh, you got to become a part of the fraternity because we're great, we're we're awesome, or whatever. You know, when we say family, that's basically what it is. Yeah. It's family. You have to be open with family. You can't be closed. You can't be, you know, secretive or whatever. It's always got to be open because yeah. if people get into the fraternity and find out that everything you've been telling them is fake, is lies, hmm. whatever, they're going to regret and hmm. despise and <clears throat> just um, 
loathe being a part of that organization to the point where fuck, they're gonna drop letters. We don't need yeah. that. Yeah. They either drop letters or they disassociate or mm-hmm. they just don't come around anymore. <coughs> you got ghost brothers and we don't need ghost brothers. Oh, yeah. We need brothers. You got a bunch of those. Yeah, I know. Amen. <laughs> so yeah, I mean um, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that the traumas have have basically made me do is mm-hmm. is um, I show people a different side of me that's not the real me and I need it that way because that's how I protect myself that's how I protect keep myself sharp right basically is um, when they assume that I'm weak when they try to take advantage of me that's when they get to, to they, they they'll find out who I really am right and what I'm capable of right that's what I need them to see true that man and it's it's funny that that kind of segues into the last uh, last part of it. Um, we mentioned like us meeting and, and how we bonded. Uh, there's this thing called uh, trauma bonds, and a common a common factor of it or a common uh, outcome of it is a uh, like Stockholm syndrome or kind of uh, what's the fucking word that I'm looking for? Not a symptom of it. I guess a. Uh, section of it I don't know I can't think of the proper fucking word but Stockholm Syndrome is is part of it in the sense that you know you there's a relationship that is built on uh, proximity and mm-hmm. a lot a a lot of uh, for lack of a better word torture mm-hmm. um, so there's a warped view of the person and I think uh, uh, I just looked this up there's there's a lot of trauma involved, uh, a lot of toxic behavior, and it's sprinkled in with just a little bit of gratification. So it's like someone will, it's, it's, abuse is the word, that's the word I'm looking for. So there's a lot of abuse, and then someone will back that up with, uh, with, I guess whatever it is that the person is looking for in a relationship. So they may be very abusive and then for a short period of time they treat them really nicely or they treat them well. So it keeps them there. So they kind of like fall in love with what could be instead of what is. And oftentimes people are uh, they're kind of blinded by it. So oftentimes when people leave abusive relationships, they look back on them and they think, oh, how the fuck did I stay there? Like, <clears throat> how was I in that, that toxic mess for so long? Right. Because they were being provided with just enough to keep them there. And it kind of, like, made up for all of the toxic shit that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, trauma bonds, I've found, they can be relationships, they can be friendships. Um... I've been in a few, a few relationships that, or at least aspects of certain relationships that were built around trauma. I didn't realize that until uh, I read this article on relationships built on trauma and why they don't last and why they're, they're absolutely terrible. It's like oftentimes people will meet other people that have similar traumas and they relate to them 
And so they gravitate towards it. Like, oh, you relate to what I've been through. I relate to what you've been through. We can, you know, we can deal with our lows together and we can help each other through it. And oftentimes in these situations, they don't build on that. So it's the, the basis for it is just this trauma, which is not a solid base at all. And they try to build a relationship off of it. I realize that one of my relationships started out that way. Um, the, I guess the saving grace of that relationship was I took my time with it. It wasn't, like, I recognized, like, ah, okay, like, we have this in common, but, like, what the fuck else? You know, and I took time to actually become friends with them. Um, so our friendship has lasted much longer than the relationship did. But once you, like, and I've experienced this, like, with cutting that person off or not being as close to that person, I recognize, oh, well, we bonded over this, and now that this isn't a factor in my life anymore, your significance in my life has, has gone down. And I, I can recognize that. It took me years to fucking recognize that. But... Um, what are like our our friendship certainly started that way. Mm-hmm. I would say that some of my, a lot of my friendship started out with a mutual, a shared trauma, or you know being able to relate to each other based on trauma. Um, have y'all had any experiences with that? Um, I have like when it comes to like my friends that like the people I surround myself with. I think that my current best friend like he's definitely been through some trauma in his childhood and like some of the shit and like him and I have grown closer over the last few years and like we can definitely relate to each other when it comes to like a lot of the shit some of the shit we went through um and this and that like we met in seventh grade and then we didn't really become friends until like my freshman year of high school and so we got closer in high school and then especially in college um but like that person I definitely felt was like kind of him was like a safe haven for me and like mm-hmm. even to this day like I can talk to him about anything like mm-hmm. we get we get deep about relationships like friendships whatever like mm-hmm. we keep it real you know and so I think uh, me building that bond with him is like the reason like he is my best friend right and so that but he, you definitely took the time to yeah build upon absolutely you know, a, you know not just the shared trauma actually <coughs> common ground with yeah shit. absolutely Right. I feel I feel like a lot of people miss that. Like they mm. miss the importance of that. Um, it's something that my mom has said often. Um, she says, "Oh, it seems like all of your friends, you know, they have some something going wrong. Like there's some they they're either they're depressed or, or you know, have you know hard lives, and that just that can't be good for you." And I always tell her like, "Well, yeah, they they have shit going on, but." Our friendship isn't just that. Like, <laughs> that's just one facet of it. And luckily, we've built up a community around each other where we can help each other through it. And I think that's the key thing is being able to elevate each other past that shit. Lift each other up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think some people don't see that. All they see is the outside. They see, oh, you're depressed. Well, the person you live with is also depressed. And your closest friend is depressed. And maybe they're having an effect on you, which, I mean, you are who you surround yourself with. Uh-huh. Um, but, I don't know, it's, it's, trauma bonds are tricky. The first time I ever even heard about trauma bonds was uh, this girl. Ooh, uh, oof, that's a whole other story. 
but she she uh, right there right uh, yeah she used that phrase uh to describe my relationships with people and she was like she's like you love something along the lines of like you love trauma bonds and I refuse to be a part of that but it was in the mix of like a whole bunch of other shit that she was like just throwing at me um and that was the first time I'd ever heard it and I was like what the fuck is what what the fuck is that like stop using these weird phrases like just talk in plain English um and then I Dr. Phil right but when she said it I it made me look it up and I was just like Ah, she's kind of right. Fuck. Okay. Because that's... And I realized that's how she and I got close. It was purely a trauma bond. And yeah, I had feelings for her. I mean, I already always thought that she was attractive. But the basis of our friendship, because we knew each other in high school, but we didn't interact much, are the basis of us getting close. The basis of our friendship was because... I had been going through my shit with depression <coughs> and a fucked up relationship in the aftermath of that and she was going through exactly the same thing. And we reached out to each other because it was like, oh, I feel like no one understands me. Oh, you too? Well, I get what you're going through. And that was how we started talking. So it was purely a trauma bond, doomed from the start. Like that, that wasn't meant to be anything past that. And at the time, I couldn't ex- accepted like I couldn't accept it that that that's what it was and so I reacted negatively granted she wasn't good for my mental health at all but you know hindsight 2020 um she was not great for my mental health and I realized that once like she contacted me and I had a full blown anxiety attack like whatever energy she was bringing, I was like, "Nope, this is it. Do. Don't want nothing with that." Um, and that kind of like opened my eyes to it, like, because for a while I was just like, "Damn, but you're so fucking fine. Like, why can't this work?" Right. <laughs> but that's what it was, because the basis was so the the base of this, whatever the fuck it was, mm-hmm. was shaky, you know, so. I don't know, tra- trauma bonds, they can lead to some some really solid friendships, I think. Yeah, they can. I mean, look at us. Right, exactly. <clears throat> um, but that's only if you do the work. Yeah. It's only if you build upon that. Yeah, definitely. You, you, you definitely have, I mean, the traumas that you guys, I mean, similar traumas that you guys experienced, yeah, that definitely brings you together, but um, you learn through interactions with each other that there's a lot more in common that you'll have like me and you love music right so mm-hmm. I mean we also love to eat very true so I mean we living together we, we've learned there's a lot more than those traumas mm-hmm. that we share and I think that's why our relationship is the way it is I mean yeah. we're, we're like fuck man you're like when, when I tell people about you <clears throat> I tell them, yeah, that's my brother. Well, how is he your brother? I was like, he's my brother. Yeah. <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> that's my brother. You yeah. Know? And like, <clears throat> like I was telling you, um, when uh, Patty wanted to uh, look into getting a house, I, I told her, I was like, look, 
I, and you know me, yeah. I've never wanted to get a house. Right. Because right. it just... Mm. Maintenance. Maintenance. <coughs> that's that's the, my biggest issue is like somebody breaks in a house. Like You cabinets. have to fix shit. Yeah, like cabinets that just fall off randomly. Um, but yeah, that's that, that was my whole issue is I've never really wanted to get a house because I just don't want to deal with maintenance and, and repairs and all that stuff because it costs money. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you got your property taxes and all that stuff, you know. So, so there's a lot of factors that why I didn't want to get it. But when uh, Patricia wanted to, uh, you know, get a house together, I told her, "Look, the only way I'll consider it is if there is enough room for Brandon to come with us." And um, when you're going through your little. The, your, your, I wouldn't say little, but your, your the, the um, thick of the shit. Yeah, the thick of the shit. Um, there, there was a point in time when I was starting to, to get upset at you because there was, there was a lot of things that you were doing that you know could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. That you know I had been telling you, hey, open your eyes. You mm-hmm. got to see it this way. And you didn't want to, so mm-hmm. I started getting annoyed. But you know, it's because I was, I had been through it. Yeah, I'd been through those same traumas before and. Um, I wanted to spare you from from feeling the way you were feeling, mm-hmm. but I couldn't because you were in that in that moment where no one, nothing anyone said, mattered. Yeah. Nothing anyone said would stick because yeah. you were in your own thing. You were dealing with your own thing. So it got to the point where I started, you know, getting tired of of trying to help you. You're not listening. That I just wanted to be away from you because mm-hmm. <clears throat> when you were really down. That started bringing me down, and I didn't want that anymore because um, I hated seeing you the way you, you were, mm-hmm. and it was bringing me down. So at one point, I just wanted to, to get away, and, and I would talk to Patricia and be like, I, I just I just can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> she thought I, didn't, I just wanted to move away from you, period. And uh, I told her, I was like, no, 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 no. It was because he was going through something, and I was trying to prevent him from getting hurt, <coughs> and I couldn't. And I felt helpless, mm-hmm. and I don't want to feel that. But that's my brother. Mm-hmm. So if we get a place, he's coming with us. Mm-hmm. So um, because Brandon's my family, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna leave him like that. Yeah. So until he can, you know, get on his feet, um, you know, build his credit, all that good stuff, um, and be able to be on his own. Um, for the most part, I'm going to be my brother's keeper. I'm going to make sure that he's good. So that's why I told her, hey, if we're going to get a place together, he's coming with us. And she agreed um, to do that. So um, <clears throat> that's that's how close our bond is. And, and it's trauma did bring us together, but a lot more happened um, when we got to live with each other. We got to know each other and got to basically become real brothers. Yeah. You know, so. Real shit. It's and it's funny too because like in one of the one of the previous episodes we were talking about how to help your friends that are going through shit, and I I said in that episode this was like the whole squad, I was like, yeah, in the in the the absolute worst of it, there was no helping, like, because you you were definitely there for you saw a lot of the shit that no one else did, mm-hmm. you saw definitely the the worst of it. The lowest of the low. The lowest of the low. And, like, the people closest to me were trying, trying their hardest. Like, 
look, this is what you should do. Or, this is how we can help you. And I'm like, I, I hear you, but the shit ain't clicking. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't clicking for me. And it's, it's one of those things where, like, when someone's in the midst of their trauma, they don't see it. You see it all the time with abusive relationships. You try to help someone. You try to save them. And they don't see it. <coughs> and it's not until, you know, the aftermath that they're like, yo, what the fuck was I thinking? You know? Um, which, I, like, I remember at that time, like, wanting to keep to myself. Because it was one of those things where... I'm already feeling like shit. And then I realize the effect that it has on the, the people closest to me, which further reinforced all the, the negative shit that I'm already telling myself. Like, ah, your friends don't fuck with you. Uh, you're just, you're a burden, this, this, and that. And yeah, our friends can be burdens when they're dealing with their shit. But it's like everything, I'm positive that everything that you were complaining about or venting about I was doing the exact same thing about myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I remember at the very worst of it, and that's that's kind of what drove the suicidal thought, because it's like, look, you're fucking shit up, man. <laughs> like, you're being a burden, you're pushing people away, people are trying to fucking help you, you're not, it's not making sense to you. What are you doing? You know what I mean? And, you know, that, thank God for, you know, like you were talking about outlets earlier, like poetry was my outlet. Um, and then, you know, at the very last second, like getting those signs and then being like, okay, I'm going to do what I need to do. Like, I didn't even tell him that I was doing therapy. You know what I mean? For me, it was one of those things where it was like, I'm assessing my trauma, the current trauma that I'm in and trying to get better. But I didn't want to tell anyone. Because I'm like, I, I didn't put these people through a lot of shit. Him mainly. And then my squad, I'm like, I, I can't do this. So, it's, it's with assessing my trauma and, and dealing with that and going back to it, one of the things that I always do is I communicate now. Like before, I bottle that shit in. Because I realized it was the same shit that I was dealing with before and they've already told me how to deal with it and shit. But now I recognize that like I can't bottle it in. If anything, I like, I'll tell him sometimes like, yo, I'm feeling low. Like I think I'm spiraling. Like as I'm I'm feeling like shit right now, you know? Um And it's 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 kind of helped with dealing with my shit dealing with my past traumas because at the very least I know he can relate you know um it's it's weird and shocking to realize all the shit that has happened in your life and recognize oh wait this is trauma because we, we tend to downplay shit that we go through like all of the shit that I was dealing with with depression and everything that got me to that point, I would downplay it. But he would tell me what's going on, tell me how I can beat it, and I'm like, ah, it's not that bad. Because it was like, I've been through worse. Which I had, but at the same time, looking back on it, like that, this shit drove me to the point that I was suicidal. Hands down the worst shit. You know? Um, 
So I think with with dealing with trauma, it's important to, I guess, kind of have a gentle hand with dealing with people with it. And recognize that, you know, if someone's in the midst of their shit, they might not get it. It's it's kind of a waiting game, unfortunately. Um, fuck, I lost my train of thought. God damn it. I, I think going off of that, you kind of just have to wait for them to realize that, like, oh, yeah, there is this, they have, they are going through this trauma, and, like, whether or not they want to, like, reach out, <coughs> it's only do so much to, like, want to help that person, but, like, at the end of the day, if you've gone through some trauma, and you're trying to help your friend with something, it's, like, you're, you want to help that person to help them get better, and, like, mm-hmm. fight through that trauma, and find ways to help them cope with that, whether that's out, you know, outlets of like fitness like painting poetry whatever like whatever it may be like find something that's going to help you like take that energy and turn it into something positive into something that's going to better you yeah. or make you just like go into like a different state of mind right know? and so i think that's one thing that you know a lot of like listeners here can take away from today is like whatever trauma you've gone through like Try to find something that will help you sidetrack your mind uh, from it and turn it into something positive, whatever that may be, whatever, like, you enjoy, like I said, fitness, painting, poetry, drawing, whatever, whatever the shit may be, like, find something to help you better yourself from that. Something healthy. And constructive. Exactly, healthy, that's it. (laughs) Healthy and constructive to to help you cope. Mm-hmm. Um, you got anything you wanted to add, bro? No, it's basically what he was saying. Was yeah. You definitely have to keep yourself busy. Um, yeah. Find something that you, you enjoy doing that will take your mind off of traumas. And you know me. I mean, all the shit that I do. Yeah. I mean, same. <laughs> I dabble in everything. Yeah, you, it's basically me. I, I dabble yeah. in everything. And that's how I... Uh, how I um, remember, we we talked about this in the previous podcast. Is coping mechanisms. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, my coping mechanism is it's dealing with my traumas. Is basically my my firearms um, shit, where I go shooting or you know fishing, mm-hmm. fishing, tranquility of fishing and, and you know being able to the patience and, and just being able to you know, cast your line and just wait for that one bite and mm-hmm. everything. You catch a fish and boom. Uh, it could be <clears throat> minutes. It could be hours that uh, mm-hmm. you won't you won't feel anything. So, but it's it's just relaxing, um, and you definitely learn about yourself about uh, being able to be patient uh, yeah. with fishing. But yeah, sure. I, I, it's 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 definitely finding something that you can, you can attribute some sort of happiness because you know everyone's trauma is is, is like something negative, right? Uh, sadness in their life, right? Um, you definitely do have to find that silver lining <clears throat> and something that that'll keep you busy that makes you happy that brings joy mm-hmm. and in, in in your gray skies so it'll brighten up your gray skies and, and make them blue again so true that i definitely agree well thank y'all for being on this episode man like i i appreciate y'all having your input I always oh, feel like I come away from these things learning more about my peoples. Oh yeah, thanks for having us, man. Anytime, dope. anytime, literally, yeah. anytime you want to be like, yo, let's do the podcast. I don't even have a, an idea for the episode. Let's just talk. I'm with that. Yeah. I'm with that. Hell yeah. Uh, as always, um, 
Just wanted to remind everyone that everyone is on their own journey. Everyone's flowers will bloom at some point. Perhaps this is your season of growing. Maybe you got to do some pruning, watering your garden. Don't pay attention to the next flower. Go at your own pace. Peace and love.